The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello and welcome to the 442 Insider Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of Australia's top footballing publication. This week we've been working harder than an unsporting, thieving, dirty Thierry Henry handball to cheat your way to a World Cup place. And I know that doesn't make sense, but I just wanted to get it out of my system now. Deep breath. This week I'm Paul Hansford, and I've been Paul Hansford, <laughs> Paul Hansford. <laughs> most most weeks, to be Good honest. Start. Good start. Um, uh, and this week I'm joined by publisher Andy Jackson. Hello. Deputy Editor Trevor Trahan. Hello. And special guest 442 contributor Jack Snape. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, I think that was definitely better the first time round, wasn't it? <laughs> Re-record's always bad. Anyway, um, straight into the football news. Obviously, there was no A-League games on the weekend due to the big World Cup qualifiers and um, the Australia Oman game for the Asian Cup. And before we go into the big World Cup news, we'll have a little chat about Socceroos playing Oman. Andy, let me yep. guess, you probably watched still, it at 5 o'clock. I still o'clock. didn't watch it live, I no. watched it at 5.30 <laughs> 5 on Sunday morning. 5.30 Sunday morning, when, didn't uh, like the... I woke, like the dogs woke me up and I couldn't go back to sleep, so I thought I might as well watch the Aussie game. And uh, 40 minutes in, I, I, I was that close when the penalty went in to just fast-forwarding it to the end, because I just thought, oh, that's it, not going to score two. Um, but yeah, they did well, can't argue with that. 10 men down, come back, get a win. Um, from a PIM perspective, you've got to say substitutions worked. Holman ran around a lot without really getting control of the ball. He's great. But he is the archetypal, just go on and make a nuisance to yourself, which is what he did. Carney's ball for the the winner was fantastic. Good run, made space, inch-perfect cross. And I mean, I think the key thing with Emerton's winner was that he just didn't take his eye off the ball. It it cleared that defender by a fraction. Mm. Yeah, and it's so easy then to just take your eye off it because you think it's going to get a flick, and he didn't. And so yeah, fair play to him. If you take out the the obvious bad performances when the A League players have played for the Socceroos, it's probably the la- the first time we've had to face like such adversity since like the Croatia game. Really, it's a great game to have on the CV to see that we can come back from a goal down in a in a crucial game. Exactly. You look at uh, celebrating that second goal. You know, these guys are. You know, the Kules, etc. These, these are the guys that are going to have to step up when it comes to South Africa. And these kind of experiences will uh, help us along that route, I'd say. Yeah, true. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but like when I watch this game, and I'm not watching it as a crucial Asian Cup qualifier because generally don't really care about it. Just looking at it as a preparation for, for the World Cup next year and, and what we sort of learn and what shape we're looking in for South Africa. And I suppose the main talking point is Harry playing up front. Um, alone and you know how did he do and is that likely to be his starting role in South Africa and he did kind of the job that I expected Harry to do in that up front position what, moan every time anyone went near him yeah, and yeah, for every fall free over, kick fall yeah. over a little bit so he done a good job but what I do like about Harry moving up to the one man up front is that it enables Emerton to come into that midfield free along with Cahill and Bresciano because I'd rather see Emerton there than I would taking Luke Wilkshaw's position at right back because I think Wilkshaw's done a great job and I think Emerton's more dangerous in midfield and also you know particularly Scott McDonald and Josh Kennedy don't look particularly comfortable in that one man up front role and I think um, uh, Kennedy's a, a better impact player so I think you know all right, Harry didn't score and didn't have an amazing game but he did do a job up front and I think he's got a big shout to, to be the guy to lead us into the World Cup yeah. On yeah. Harry uh, it is nice to have a guy that can play that role is versatile enough to play that role but 
has that little bit of brilliance that Harry does. And so, you know, even within that system, you can rely on him to, uh, to play that role. But, you know, he can also jag a goal here or there. And also, you know, let, let's be honest, he's, he's been around the traps. He's a canny player. He can milk free kicks. He is always in the referee's ear. Claude Leroy's right. He is always trying to ref the game. But free kicks, set pieces in and around the box with someone like Cahill in your side, that's exactly what Australia need. And if Kennedy's there as well. Mm. Um, I agree. I think the thing that I was saying when I was watching it was, I don't think Scott McDonald's going to go to the World Cup now. We, I said it last week. I'm even more convinced now that, that Kuehl will be the, the reserve one if Kennedy isn't there. I still think Kennedy will be first choice. I'd actually think that Emerton's probably ahead of Bresciano in the pecking order. I'd probably say that Emerton would start on that right of the three ahead of Bresciano. Um, but Bresciano does have the ability to play in any of those positions, which give yeah. him the... I, I, I quite like Bresch on the left side of those sort of midfield three, because even though he's probably got an inclination to cut inside, I think when you've got Chipperfield overlapping and you've got Harry up front, who's also as natural to come out, to drag out to the left, you can have kind of, you know, Harry and Chipperfield as the, the natural left side as Bresch can cut in and then, you know, Emerton and Cahill can get into the box as well. So I think it works. Yeah, great stuff. So good result for the Socceroos. Uh, we'd be remiss not to mention uh, New Zealand Zealand's fantastic performance and going through to the first World Cup since 1982. Game full of drama. Do you happy to see the Kiwis make it, Jack? Oh, I think uh, every Australian soccer fan uh, shared a little bit of a, a nice moment this week with uh, New Zealand qualifying. We went through a similar thing uh, four years ago, of course, and I think it would take a heartless Australian uh, not to uh, give the nearest Kiwi a pat on the back for that effort. And has, has a, a Plymouth Argyle man ever sent a team through to the World Cup finals before, I, Trev? You know, I, haven't researched it. I haven't researched it, but I'm going to assume no, they haven't. Um, it did make me think, I wonder how many um, mediocre Brazilians and European players are all of a sudden going to become Kiwis before the next World Cup. I think Daniel's one of the first to come out. He's talked about it before. But um, yeah, I, I think they'll have... A, I mean, they're just sort of a, a ramble of, of journeyman players that are kind of dedicated and organised aren't they but I think they'll have a few new recruits before the World Cup as well yeah and did you Just watch it live Paul Eiffel's played for played for Barbados and <laughs> Paul International so as you can imagine Ricky trying to get in his ear going yeah, I'm sure you haven't got any Kiwi in you yeah but I thought it was great I mean you know I thought they deserved it well, the two legs um, it was a few nervy moments right, right at the end or pretty much the last right, where the fella just headed it straight at, um, at Paston yeah. but yeah, it was a good. It was a good save. It was low. It wasn't the best penalty, but still in that sort of pressure, you know, if it's on target and it's struck relatively well, you've got to do well to save it, and and he did. So I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd be fantastic. I think most of the Aussies were celebrating because they were looking forward to potentially drawing them in the group <laughs> and, and hopefully being guaranteed three points. But. <laughs> be a great match be a great match uh, obviously there were some games played overnight or this morning Australian time the second leg of the World Cup qualifiers Bosnia nil Portugal won Portugal win 2-0 on aggregate Slovenia won 1-0 against Russia at home which means that they go uh, through on away goals you <laughs> <laughs> someone's happy about Slovenia uh, Ukraine nil Greece won Greece win 1-0 on aggregate and the big game uh, which will now undoubtedly be dubbed the Hand of Frog. Um, France winning 2-1 against Ireland after a, a blatant handball by Thierry Henry to uh, set up a, the goal for Gallas in extra time. Uh, we've all seen the handball. Yeah, I, I didn't see it live because as, as I, I had to disappear at the start of um, 
extra time to go and do an interview with a potential new member of staff. Great. And then I just walked back onto into the office and went, what happened? And the, just the looks that I got told me that it was something big and they were just went, come and have a look at this. And I was just like, absolutely disgraceful. I mean, that, that's, I'd say that's even worse than Maradona's. Because yeah. he did it twice. There was a double control of the hand. How one of the officials doesn't spot that, you know, but... Well, can quite conspiracy theories, but you know, you've got to say that FIFA have got the two people to the final that they wanted. Yeah. Uh, they wanted Portugal there. They wanted the best Cristiano Ronaldo in the World Cup finals. They fixed the draw. They changed the result. They changed what they'd said. It we said it wasn't going to be seeded. They made it seeded. They seeded Portugal and France to avoid each other, and they've got what they wanted. Apparently, a guardian. I was reading the the minute by minute on the Guardian <laughs> and, a, and a reader had written in at half time saying that uh, FIFA had just announced that the away goals rule was not going to count now yeah. and uh, if it went after extra time it would be a baguette making competition <laughs> of penalties but there's no bias there obviously uh, but I mean if this was uh, I don't know if this was Harry Kuehl sticking his hand out in a do or die game uh, four years ago say against Uruguay and we went through on that goal I don't think we'd be complaining too much, would we? It, is it down to the referee to be, you know, is, Hon- is Henri going to say, well, I'm trying to do everything I can, the referee should have picked it up, it's not my fault, or do you not agree with that excuse? I totally disagree with that excuse. What Henri did was, uh, it was offensive. Uh, given his reputation and the respect he enjoys, or has enjoyed, you know, particularly from his time at Arsenal, as, you know, a, a beautiful footballer, plays the game in the right spirit, that has all changed now. That's been tipped on its head. Mm. And Henri will be remembered for this probably more than anything else. I guess, I guess the question is, though, is what do you expect him to do? Mm. Well, he, probably, he probably, 99 out of 100 times, expects the referee to blow up for that. Fair enough. But what, what do you expect him to do when the, the one time when the referee doesn't like this morning? Do you expect him to go to the ref and say, mm. I handballed it? Because what does the ref then do? What does he restart the game with? Uh, but interestingly, but, can't, but Thierry Henry isn't ref in the game. He can't make the decision. They would have to start again and say, "No." At that point, before the kickoff, the referee can change his decision and he can give a free kick. But haven't France? France have been penalised by a fourth official in the World Cup when Zidane got sent off. No one saw it except for the fourth official, uh, the fourth official mm. who saw it on TV and then alerted the referee and said, "You know, Zidane just headbutted that guy. You got to send him off." So why can't they do that again in this game? It's just I, I just don't see why there's a double standard there. But as you said, conspiracy theories abound. The, and the president of UEFA isn't Irish. Yeah, well, exactly. I, I, I just think there's a split set, a second decision. You know, Thierry Henry wasn't warming up before this game, going, do you know, if I get the chance, I'm going to handball it back in and nod, nod it across. Yeah. He had a, a nanosecond to decide what he was going to do. It was so close to his hand. He muscled in a little bit, went across. Oh, look, big the, deal. The yeah. goal itself, it actually, there was a questionable offside decision as well. In as the ball was struck, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. and he, he's handballed it twice. It, <laughs> It's amazing, Andrew. He always grabs it. Like hey, it's what football's about. We wouldn't be doing a podcast if it wasn't the exactly. thing to talk about. Any of the other results jump out at you? I mean, uh, Russia, 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 Russia yeah, losing Russia, and Slovenia winning. Tell us about your theory now, Andy, about Russia and Hiddink. <laughs> no. I mean, it will it will open up the calls for Gus mm. back, you know, like for the World Cup. But obviously, Pim's got his contract till uh, till Australia go out of the World Cup. So um, 
what price in bringing him in as an assistant maybe yeah mm. might undermine him a little bit I think but I mean other jobs like you know France France and Argentina who have got awful managers and you potentially could lose I mean I, f- I think they should get rid of the French manager before the World Cup anyway could do a job there or Jack well, I don't think either of those have ever had foreign coaches as coaches of the national team if, mm. you've, if you've ever met a French person the thought of anyone but a French person leading the national team of theirs would be they'll have one one day though yeah about that. I mean, they said about England didn't they? and breaking news just coming across on the iPhone I've checked out that uh, Raymond Domenech's eyebrows moved uh, at the end of the game so uh, that's good to uh, know you'd like to say Gus probably the, the job that would be most likely for him would potentially be Liverpool yeah. you know if Benitez goes then he's available gun for hire do it for four months and then go off and do something else it's just yeah. about right because um, he's never failed to get a team to the World Cup before it's the first time yeah. in all the, all the clubs he's managed so good stat you saved it at the end I was just about to cut it off without Trev bringing up a stat so been annoyed is, uh, fantastic stuff well look great stuff lads that's all we've got time for in this section but join us after the break as we'll be having a look at all the news from our website au.442.com the December edition of Australian 442 is on sale now. We're 50 issues old, and to celebrate, we're listing the 50 defining moments of Australian football, including Aloisi's penalty, FFA's Dutch Revolution, and Vidmar's exit tears. Elsewhere, we catch up with rising soccer star Reese Williams. Italy and AC Milan legend Franco Baresi tells us what it's like to miss a penalty in a World Cup final. And there's a free Football Manager 2010 game demo with every issue. The December edition of Australian 442 is... It's on sale now. Hi, I'm Archie Thompson of the Melbourne Victory, and you're listening to the 444-444-442 Insider Podcast. Welcome back to the 442 Insider Podcast. We're into the second segment, and now we're going to look at some of the news from around Australia on our website, au.442.com. First up is uh, Melbourne Hart, or that's what we're going to call them for the time being, having signed two assistant coaches to help with uh, John, no, is it John Robert Van Shipt or John, I can never get his first name, is it? Uh, John, isn't it? John, isn't it? John, John Van Shipt. Uh, they've signed ex-Socceroo and Brisbane Raw striker Ante Milicic, or they were Queensland Raw when he was playing for them, and former Denmark and Manchester United international Jesper Olsen. Which is a, a, a good like start. It. You happy with that? Yeah, I like it. There's good, good balance. Good balance of uh, you know, local guy and uh, although you, you, you probably class uh, Jesper Olsen as a local guy now. He's been in Melbourne for a fair few years running his fun football. Um, so yeah, I think you know, I, I think it's got a nice balance to it. It'd be interesting to see. You know, now we want to see what players they're going to bring in. But um, yeah, I think I think the important thing is, and, and at Sydney FC as well, it's great that that you've got Tony Popovich there learning from Levitska because the important thing is is if we're going to import coaches in and pay them big money which we all agree that, that Levitska and this guy look like they're going to be good additions that there's some learning left they leave a legacy when they go and that is developing local coaches so that in the future we're developing coaches of that quality ourselves yeah. so I think it's great really it, good move even though uh, Jesper Olsen is Danish he came through the Ajax system when he was uh, coming up as a young player so he's sort of well versed with the the Dutch way of doing things it seems like a natural fit doesn't it with uh, Van Schipt and his Dutch Dutchness 
I didn't realise that, that Milicic had, had played in Eredivisie as well. But yeah? Yeah. yeah. So they're so obviously going for... There. It's good to have coaches on board in plenty of time because, you know, they're going to start pulling the, the rosters together now and they can, you know, just rather than one man going out and signing all these people, they can decide yeah. as a team who the, who the best people are. I think, you know, the, the other thing is that they will be one of the few coaching units that has ever been in place before a single player has been signed. You know, if you look at Sydney FC... Every coach that's coming to Sydney FC has only had the flexibility to bring in two or three of their own players, going right back to when Litbarski came in and he only had two spots left to fill because mm. they'd already been filled before he was appointed. You know, so it's great that these guys will have their, you know, they'll assemble their squad. Yeah, I was going to say, it should help with recruitment, shouldn't it, to know that you're going to be working under these guys and if you want to work with them. And I think Olsen as well is a, a great guy to have on board because... For the A-League clubs, it's often so hard to attract those, whether it's not necessarily the big names, but just guys who are going to make a difference, whether they have come from uh, top football schools in Europe or wherever. Any guy that has the pedigree of Olsen um, you know, has his uh, tentacles out at the right people and uh, guys that can come through those... Uh, those avenues will more often than not benefit the A-League. Yeah, his fun football was working with sort of young young players coming yeah, through, so we should know. expect a few good youngsters uh, being snapped up, especially from Victoria area. And, yeah, and again, you know, it, it's a really smart move from not just from what he brings, but but he's now he's he's been working with a network of, of junior football players, so it also gives them a ready-made footprint in the community from the community side of it. Um, so I, I, I think it's a really smart move on, on both levels. Now, one thing that they, that they haven't sorted out yet is their name. At the moment, they're calling themselves the Melbourne Heart Syndicate, but they do have a, a couple of names that are being put up, put up for tender, so to speak, and they are Sporting Melbourne FC, Melburnians, Melbourne Revolution, or Melbourne Heart FC. Uh, they're having a vote in the Mel- in the Melbourne Herald Sun, and uh, you can vote on their website. So expect loads of Sydney fans to uh, <laughs> be voting for Sporting Melbourne or the worst one. Do we like any of those, or do we Not think a they're fan just of any of them really? I was at, I was in Melbourne at the weekend. I was reading the Sun Herald when they're having a discussion in the paper about what to name it. We were saying how Melbourne City might be a good name, but mm. the reason they don't want to call it is that is because they think it's too you know metropolitan. It's too you know the city and it's going to oh. alienate all the people outside of Melbourne who might be in a catchment area for the club. Yeah. So that's why they're not going with that. But it's still Melbourne Heart. It seems to be the the lesser of the evils, and that's what they're going to go for. And the other one they seem to like as well is Sporting Melbourne, just because you know they like to go along how about the Sporting Caps of Australia mm. and so on. So I, mean, I don't think it's particularly. Good, but you know me personally, I, I, I can't off the top of my head think of anything necessarily. But I'd probably go with you know something more traditional that we haven't seen. Could, Metro and Country Melbourne, something like that. yeah. <laughs> maybe if they're Dutch, maybe they but could go for area. AZ, <laughs> AZ Melbourne, or you know, about Port Melbourne. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I was going to get killed for uh, liking Melbourne Heart, but Melbourne. it's nice to have a friend on the on the podcast there, Trev, because. Mm. Uh, look, they've had Melbourne Heart as a name. It, whether or not it's been loved by people around the community, it has had some traction though, and it's unique. Uh, and I think it it reflects what they're going for. So go so ahead, rail, go ahead and so destroy me now. Rail Salt Lake's <laughs> unique, but it doesn't stop it being crap. We'll get so. a couple of headlines out of it. Well, the first few rounds as well. Fine, stick with them. Yeah, we'll see how that one goes in the next couple of weeks. Now, uh, contrary to popular belief, there there 
could be an Australian coach. Other, well, if we count Graham Arnold as an Australian coach uh, at the World Cup, but for another team, Raul Blanco uh, helped the All Whites. It was pulled in as a special uh, technical assistant to Ricky Herbert to try and get through the games against Bahrain. He's uh, currently the coach of the New South Wales Super League club MacArthur Rams. But he was uh, involved in the in the victory and the coaching to take them into the 2010 World Cup finals. And he's hoping to be invited back and uh, part of the coaching group to take the All Whites to South Africa. So. It's good to see, you know, when we're talking about the dearth of Australian coaches in the game, it's good to see one getting recognised for for a good job. Anyone? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm pleased to see he's still working. I mean, he's got that 10-week contract he was there for. He's probably put himself in a a very good position to go to the World Cup next year. yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what else to say. What did make me laugh in the interview when they were talking about the final whistle? What was your reaction? He said he was too old to run over and celebrate with everyone, and he had to sort of stand. Caught him up a bit later. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Any other thoughts on that one? Or are we not really that bothered? Not really that bothered. I think that that team is Ricky Herbert's team, yeah. more so. And uh, uh, whatever you think about Ricky Herbert, uh, props to him for getting them uh, over the line. Do you like him? Oh. I, no, I don't not like him, but uh, you know, he... I love Ricky Herbert. Yeah, I'm into Ricky <laughs> Herbert. You just like him because he goes out on the lash yeah, with you every time him. he comes over. Good lad. Good lad. Yeah, I think. Oh, he'll... I think he's shown the benefit of that dual role. You know, in that he's managed to have a, a nucleus of players that, you know, with the best will in the world, aren't the best players in the world, but they play together week in, week out at the Phoenix, and he's not asking them to do too much different at international level, and probably one of the easiest routes to a World Cup ever you'd have to say you know winning Oceania and then a two-legged playoff against Bahrain there's not many teams that would have qualified easier than that well unless there were hosts (laughs) yeah well Ireland didn't lose a game in qualifying and go out on a handball in the worst of circumstances and yeah you look at New Zealand there's going to be a few people aggrieved Um, another news story Matt Spiranovic looking uh, for a loan move possibly from FC Nuremberg to try and bolster his Socceroos World Cup hopes 21 year old centre back hasn't played many games only one game so far this season and you know could be looking to uh, move on loan there was said to be interest from Fulham who seemed to like taking centre-halves and sticking them on the bench Australian centre-halves anyway and uh, do we think that really the the door's closed on Spiranovic whether he gets the the loan move or not already I think Spiranovic we all know uh, his potential you know hopefully in the next 10 years he's going to have a real impact on the Australian team but Look, unless he has a huge loan stint anywhere in the second half of the season, looks like this World Cup has come too soon for him. He should be thinking long term, you know, where does he need to be uh, to help out Australia best for maybe 2014? It's all about where you are, though, isn't it? I mean, if you look at someone like Spiranovic, who had such a great reputation, and you compare him to someone like Reese Williams, who's just coming out of nowhere, but Williams has been playing, and Williams has been getting games, and Spiranovic has obviously been injured, but he's on the bench. It's got to be all about where you are and circumstance as well, hasn't it? Yeah, you've got to be playing regular football in a World Cup year if you want to go. I'm really disappointed that Spiranovic hasn't kicked on this season because... 
you know, what I thought about, we've talked a lot about that, that role next to Lucas Neal that's going to be available at the moment. It looks like Craig Moore's going to take it. Mm. And it, it, it seems a bit rude to sort of criticise the Australian defence because they've, they've been so fantastic. But what I worry about those two is they may be experienced, but they're pretty slow. Lucas Neal in particular is a genuinely slow player. That's why he struggled so badly whenever he played at right back for West Ham. And I thought that Spranovic would be a perfect foil for him because he's sort of, you know, tall, young, quick. And he'd work really, really well alongside sort of Lucas's, you know, good positioning and, and experience. But, you know, they got promoted to the Bundesliga and he, he needed a full Bundesliga um, season to kind of, you know, kick on and make the squad. And that's not happening. And I think now we're going to have to get used to the idea that we're going to have more. And Lucas, it, it just worries me a little bit when we come up, you know, Torres at Spain or Rooney at England or Anelka at France. Just kick him. Just, yeah, kick him. But, I mean, any sort of mistake, yeah. lose Against France, just make sure you got hold of their arm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, anything in, in, in behind, you're not going to be able to do um, or the, the Rio Ferdinand school of defending that he used to do when he's younger, which just make a mistake, but you're so quick you can make it back up again. Any sort of mistake, I think we're going to get punished in the World Cup. I, I think that, uh, yeah, I totally agree with you, uh, you know, that these Moore and Neil in particular are, yeah, are not the quickest guys in, in the world, but... The teams we're going to play against and uh, those players you mentioned, any game against those teams, we're going to be you know, sitting deep. We're not going to have a whole heap of room behind us. And I would much prefer to see two experienced players in there. Um, and Craig, Craig Moore has done everything you could ask to get out of the way, hasn't he? He yeah. retired. <laughs> he didn't go to the Asian Cup. You know, he's, he's played in, in the defeat to Kuwait. You know, he's done everything he can and left every door possible open for someone else to come in. And he's like Marlon Brando in on the waterfront, isn't he? And no, to leave. You know, they keep no pulling one has. In. You know, we've seen Beecham, we've seen Kisnorbo. You know, they both, you know, Kisnorbo had an awful Asian Cup, but seems to be now probably working his way up back up the pecking order largely because Spiranovic has played one game in a year, you know. Mm. And it's a shame, you know, at 21. He should be there now, you know. He should be playing regularly, if not in the in the, in the top league, certainly in, you know, like as we've seen with Reese Williams, you know, the championship is not a bad place to be, you know, particularly for a defender because you you'll be doing a lot of defending against some rugged players, um, you know. So it's a shame because he certainly seems to have got the ability, but the, it, it just seems to me that at 21 he shouldn't be having such chronic problems with injury that he seems to be having. So. Yeah. Mm. To talk about Reese Williams, I think you know, he's playing that defensive midfield role for mm. um, for Middlesbrough this season, and he can also play right back and centre back. You can only take twenty three players to the World Cup. You're going to take you know your most versatile kind of squad players. That's why I think he's playing Williams so much, and that's why I think Williams will probably go despite the red card. Yeah. Great stuff, lads. That was uh, some of the news from our website, au.442.com. It's all we've got time for in this segment of the Insider Podcast, but join us after the break as we'll be doing a bit of potty training. See you then. All together now. Australian football legends John Cosmina and Kevin Muscat have come together for the first time since their headline-grabbing sideline stoush nearly three years ago to become very special members of the Green and Gold Army on tour at the 2010 FIFA World Cup. With over 100 Socceroos caps between them, Cosy and Musky will be arm-in-arm arm with the Green and Gold Army in South Africa and you could be there with them enjoying the ultimate 2010 FIFA World Cup experience. Known for their passion and pride in supporting the Socceroos around the globe, 
globe, the Green and Gold Army's FIFA authorised travel packages will take you to the heart of Australia's support in South Africa. The Green and Gold Army's packages include tickets to all three Australia group stage games, four additional World Cup group stage games, transfers to and from games and safe, secure accommodation in Johannesburg, just a goal kick down the road from the Socceroos base. Head to www.ggarmyontour.com or call 1300 300 756 for more information on Australian football's once-in-a-lifetime experience. Chris Greenacre, Wellington Phoenix, listening to the Insider Podcast. Hello, welcome back to the 442 Insider Podcast, and now we're going to do some potty training. No, we're not going to teach Trevor how uh, to not soil his pants in the office, which happens on a regular basis, but we're going to have a look at the pot seedings. They don't go into pots, do they? It's yeah, all like kind of, yeah, but are they bowls. glass ones? Glass, glass bowls. bowls, yeah. Yeah. Well, Perspex, there's models around, you don't want any accidents. Yeah, yeah, but I couldn't think of anything to do with bowls. It needs to be glass so it can handle the, if they were plastic, then the, the ones that are hot that they put in to make sure that the, the groups are fixed would um, would melt the plastic, uh, so they have okay. to be glass. Yeah. Yeah. We should probably explain to everyone listening what, why we're doing this rather than just talking <laughs> about like vases and bowls. We're gonna have it was a look- great seeing Heidi Klum with a couple of couple of balls in a hat <laughs> <laughs> yeah but for uh, 32 balls I don't know where yeah. they are. Move, move it swiftly you on. see the size of seal <laughs> <laughs> we're going to look to the World Cup finals and who could draw who when the teams are pulled out of the pots slash bowls in the early hours of December the 5th while the final seedings are usually announced just before the draw we thought we'd have a bit of fun have a look at the possible seedings and pots for the World Cup draw and how it could affect Australia now, how we see it at the moment in pot one, the, the seeded teams, Argentina, Brazil, England, Germany, Italy, Spain, host South Africa and France, who just qualified this morning. Pot two, which would cover the rest of UEFA, Denmark, Greece, Holland, Portugal, Slovenia, Serbia, Slovakia and Switzerland. Pot three, which is a combination of AFC and CONCACAF. Australia, New Zealand, Honduras, Japan, North Korea, South Korea, Mexico, and the US. And finally, in pot four, which is CAF, which is obviously South America, and the rest of CONMEBOL uh, is Algeria, Cameroon, Chile, Ghana, Ivory Coast, Paraguay, Nigeria, and the winner of Uruguay, Costa Rica, which is probably taking place in the next hour or so. So you'll know who that is. Uruguay, I think. Yeah, should be Uruguay. If Costa Rica win, they could go into pot three, bumping New Zealand down into pot four, which would then make it possible for Australia and New Zealand to go into the same group. I'm going to ask the guys what they think about those placements of the pots but just to let everyone listening know that we'll put this up on the uh, news story on our website so you can have a look at it maybe uh, pick your group of death and your uh, easy group for Australia maybe put it in the comments for us so you can join in but lads uh, from the list that I've uh, read out to you there you agree with agree with that anything controversial I mean New Zealand possibly dropping down or Holland in pot two over France who's squeaked in or um, uh, there are a few things that Obviously, it's uh, difficult at the moment to uh, accurately say where everyone's going to fall. Uh, I think FIFA, you know, 
try and keep it as secret as possible for as long as possible. Uh, so to prevent they any kind of analysis. They've got to which draw they want first. <laughs> yeah. They've got to work yeah. the permutation. Um, there might be a chance that some other teams get into that uh, pot one, the seedings, uh, Portugal. Holland uh, as well, I think. Holland had a bad World Cup oh, a couple of uh, a couple of World Cups ago. So unlikely there, but that's determined by recent performances in the World Cup, uh, as well as uh, an average of their world ranking over the last uh, four years. Yep. So um, without crunching the numbers, that's more or less going to be it. Uh, it's going to be the, uh, looks like the host South Africa, the two South American teams and five European teams, uh, the makeup of which were more or less there. I mean, I think the reason the Hollander are in pot two is because they didn't qualify for 2002. Yeah. So mm. they don't get any points yeah. from... Yeah, I mean, they're ranked third in the world at the moment. So depending on how much weighing they do on current rankings and past performance, they're not completely out of it. But yeah, it sounds like they're going to be in pot two. I mean, the juicy one would be if uh, Costa Rica win, which they've got a mountain to climb because they're 1-0 down and playing in uh, Montevideo. But that could possibly push New Zealand down and make it possible for the Kiwis to play Socceroos. That would be a... Would we like that? Or would it be another one of those kind of like we'd rather play another more footballing established team because it's just going to be like another rugby game or something? Yeah, Yeah, possibly. Although you'd have to say that New Zealand will be the worst team in the World Cup. You know, so from from that perspective technically and you know you'd probably say you'd want New Zealand mm. I think every country going into that draw will be hoping they get New Zealand mm. Honduras North Korea and Algeria are probably the other mm. other teams you'd be hoping to pull out yeah yeah. so looking at the, the way that we've got the teams all built up just wanted to ask you guys to maybe throw out what you think would be the best group Australia could get out of that and, and why uh, go on Trev you give us a go well if we look at pot one first what teams I wouldn't mind drawing obviously you know they're the top teams in the in the world and um, you're going to want to avoid you know Brazil England Germany at least Spain. I wouldn't mind Argentina France and obviously South Africa but South Africa is the obvious choice as being the sort of easiest guys from from pot one um Pot two, there's some beatable teams in there as well. I think, you know, it's just a, a case of avoiding Holland at all costs. Yeah. Because that's going to be an absolute nightmare if you get them. But, um, yeah, the, the good teams to get, Switzerland, Serbia, Slovakia, they're all beatable sides, aren't they, really? Yeah. Greece, I don't think. I mean, the Greece-Ukraine game was... I mean, I know Ukraine beat England, but you know, it was a dead rubber and England had a keeper sent off. I watched a fair chunk of that game this morning. It was, you know, neither side was really. Um, I don't think neither side's going to set the world on uh, fire. So, well, and Denmark, you know a bit about Denmark, yeah? Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. all right. If the Nicholas Bentner's the guy that they go to, so <laughs> well, they're all right. Nicholas Bentner's right. the guy they go to. Doesn't really doesn't really say much, but he plays a lot better for the national team than he does for Arsenal. I just think that they're one of those kind of sturdy, muscular teams that will. You know they'll either do really well or they'll just uh, flame out. And but I think you'd want to avoid them just because they're they're a bit of an unknown quantity. You don't know which side you're going to get. They had a tough qualifying group as well, didn't they? Mm. And you know they topped yeah. that. So yeah. well, they knocked Sweden out and put Portugal into the playoffs. So yeah, they won, yeah. Their, they won their group. But how that form will transfer to South Africa? I mean, I think the interesting thing as well, Jack, in pot four, you've got Ivory Coast. Um, who who could be the, the the dark horse to really push the other guys in the group, whoever they get? Yeah, well, if you look at um, their different pots, um, they might they might switch around some of the confederations. Uh, so we don't know whether in Asia uh, we don't know whether the other 
countries in our pot will be coming from uh, North America or uh, uh, South America. But we do know, what we do know is uh, Africa will not be in our pot. So um, it's highly likely uh, that, that we're going to get an African team or there's a, a five in eight chance that we'll yeah. get an African team. And, and that's tough. As I mean, especially Ivory Coast, I think Drogba goes into the World Cup and the form he's been this season, I think he's easily one of the best strikers in the world. And his scoring rate for Ivory Coast is nearly a goal a game, I think. Mm. It's ridiculous. And I think Ghana are also a team you've got to be careful of. You know, yeah. SEN in, in well. the middle, they qualified three, with three games to spare. And, and if you look at them playing against a, you know, a, a second pot team and, and possible Australia, it's uh, it's going to be going to be very tough. Well, this is Europe the African World Cup. This is yeah, if, exactly. If well. not now, then maybe African football, you know, never has will never win the World Cup. Yeah. So definitely, I, I wouldn't mind Uruguay, assuming they go through. Yeah, yeah, make yeah, it make it nice. interesting and Algeria beatable as well. So give yeah, us. I, mean, some... I, I, I got the best group like South Africa, Switzerland, and Uruguay. Yeah. For Australia, I think that would be an eminently winnable group. Yeah. So, guys, tell us who you, what you think the worst possible group that Australia could get. Uh, if, we, if we pick one, Jack? Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe Trevor would like to go first. Go I, on, I think Spain would be the worst group to get out of the top end. I yeah. mean, you, you could. I think Spain and Brazil are, you know, the two favourites in the tournament. But Brazil normally take a little while to get going. Um, so I think about yeah. ten minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not quite long enough. <laughs> um, but I mean, Spain will start firing straight away, and they're a nightmare team to, to try and play against. So I think Spain will probably be the worst from that. Then probably Holland from pot two and pot four. I reckon Ivory Coast. Yeah. yeah, I'd agree with that. Agree? I got Brazil, Holland, Ivory Coast. From a from a personal perspective, my worst nightmare would be England drawing Australia. Everyone would love just. That. I mean, it, it would be massive. But as someone with sort of living in Australia, but ultimately being English, torn allegiances. Yeah, it would be hard. It would be a tough game. I would, love, I would love to see Australia draw Italy, obviously, in the group stage. Yeah. Um, I would be concerned about Brazil. Uh, we've never been able to really compete with Brazil. Um, and also, after Samuel Eto'o uh, bought his whole team watches, uh, the Cameroon side, I don't know, maybe they'll be motivated, maybe they won't be, but... Well, at least they'll, they'll, be, on they'll time. be on time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do we have a, uh, an ultimate group of death? Is that not including Australia? Just not in, well, be, unless you think Australia is the strongest no, team. No, I don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it'll probably be, I suppose, again, um, Spain, Holland, US. Um, South Korea look good in that pot as well, but probably the US and then uh, Ivory Coast again. Yeah. What a group that would be. That would be great. And if, it, and if all those teams get pulled into one group, you'd think that there's got to be a couple mm. of groups that would, uh, you'd be looking to, uh, to see Australia get out of if, uh, if some of the top seeds get pulled. So it will be some interesting early morning um, viewing. And on the thing I love about, it, though, about the World Cup is that we, we're spending like hours debating the draw. And the draw is, is probably bigger than most other sporting events. Yeah. You know, it's like viewing figures and like debate going into it. 
Column well, inches coming out of it. Well, Les Murray is going to Cape Town live to yeah. be commentating on it. Where, where else do you see that in a draw for a tournament? And uh, obviously at, at the draw, they're going to be revealing the World Cup football, which they like to do. And uh, Trevor is yeah. going to be one of the, the, the first uh, from this area to see the balls. You, you're, you're good at um, spotting balls. balls, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm never one to turn down a, a work jolly up to get out of uh, So tell us, what, tell us what you're up to. Well, I'm, I'm flying off tomorrow um, to go to Germany. I'm going to the Adidas headquarters um, over there just outside Nuremberg and basically they're going to unveil um, the new ball we won't be able to tell you details of it until the actual draw but we're going to go and you know see the ball see the testing they do get them to tell me how round it is round the round any ever. roundest ever yeah, ball and how they got so. it so, so round and stuff but you know we we're talking about you know, the excitement over the draw you know I'm, I'm flying to Germany for the launch of a ball for the launch of a football and I can't wait and it's a, it's a really really important thing but another interesting thing is what um, Schwarzer was saying in his column for the forthcoming um, copy of the magazine about how the Nike balls have a slightly sort of truer flight yeah. and the Adidas ones are really really tough to, to gauge the flight and it's going to be like that at the World Cup um, again like when Fulham play in the Europa League they train with the Adidas ball in the lead up to their games because it's so different especially for a goalkeeper yeah. so yeah it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to the launch of the ball we, I mean, with the Adidas, those top range Adidas balls like, I had a couple of those that I took down to our over 35s <laughs> taking Schwartz's experience right down <laughs> the bottom end <laughs> and what's funny is like you, you pull them there and they actually feel like they're over inflated they feel quite hard and the play, like our lads were kicking it around sure there's not too much air in this and then one of them would just get it on the sweet spot and it would just like ping and it'd be like whoa and, and they've got this, like this and, and I think the thing is is when they really move and Ronaldo is probably the earliest to pick up on this Cristiano Ronaldo is of course, you can do the inside and outside of the foot to get your traditional spin. But when they really move, where it's difficult, is when they, they hit straight down the middle and it wobbles and it goes both ways. Mm. And that's why Ronaldo, with those Champions League balls, started doing that straight, dead straight run-up and just kicking through the ball. Now, I heard someone say, and I don't know how to choose, maybe bring this up to him, that there was a, there was a bit about that Ronaldo actually kicks through the valve that he positions the ball so that the valve is facing him and he kicks through that. Because what it does is, is because there's obviously an imperfection in the bladder where the valve goes in, that it creates an uneven bit within the ball that causes it to move like that. Um, because it's not a perfect sphere inside so that would be very interesting for you to come back with yeah. oh, this valve story has been going around for years Sounds this is the same story yeah, that yeah. was the reason that Roberto Carlos hit that free kick against England in 1995 no, well, that, that, that was just a straightforward no, side of the foot that, the myth of you know, lining the ball up with the valve in the 12 year olds have been practicing it down at Centennial Park for 10 years but uh, we'll see if uh, the boffins at Adidas can uh, I'll see. Find out. I can't wait to hang out with some German and if anyone's, scientists. Yeah. And tell them what, if anyone's got knowledge of imperfections in the bladder, it's Trevor. <laughs> uh, absolutely. So uh, that's all on that bombshell. Uh, that's all the time we've got uh, in this section of the podcast. But join us after the break as we'll be getting back to the A-League. Do you remember that, lads? That A-League thing? We're going to preview all the games in round 15. So join us then. The December edition of Australian 442 is on sale now. We're 
50 issues old and to celebrate we're listing the 50 defining moments of Australian football including Aloisi's penalty, FFA's Dutch Revolution and Vidmar's exit tears. Elsewhere we catch up with rising Socceroos star Reese Williams. Italy and AC Milan legend Franco Baresi tells us what it's like to miss a penalty in a World Cup final. And there's a free Football Manager 2010 game demo with every issue. The December edition of Australian 442, it's on sale now. Hello. Welcome back to the 442 Insider Podcast and we're in the home stretch. We've been stretching out our calves, getting the cramp out of uh, Trevor's left butt cheek, which is proving particularly troublesome. The dad jokes are coming thick and fast this week, aren't they? (laughs) Now we're going to have a look at A-League round 15. A-League's back after a a week's break. Everyone's been enjoying a bit of time off. And the games start in earnest on Friday. Adelaide United against Gold Coast at Hindmarsh. Andy, particularly inspired by this mm. one? Um, that is a no then. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to work out in my head how many rounds are left. It's 27 this year, isn't yeah, it? So yeah, so I think it's 13. 13 yeah. yeah, it's sort of going on a bit, isn't it? Yeah, it is a bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Back in all this expansion and now yeah. it's going on a bit. <laughs> yeah, no, Adelaide, Gold Coast. I was, yeah, Adelaide have not been really performing this season again we talked about the fact that just doesn't seem to be right at that club for some reason you know there seems to be uh, unrest there there seems to be an unrest there for a year never really seems to have been put right local press are starting to turn a bit on the, on Mr Vidmar um, Gold Coast got back to winning ways against Sydney I think they'll go there and win yeah, yeah. I think Adelaide are due a win. It sounds like a silly thing to say for a team playing so poorly. But, you know, they have got the players to, to dig out a win and you're never really sure which Gold Coast team's going to show up. Um, so I, I think Adelaide are going to edge that one. It's probably a bit of a long, probably a bit of value for the better man. Mm. These are two clubs that have, uh, you know, both seen uh, a bit of chaos or two, uh, you know, in the uh, boardroom or the dressing sheds, whatever you want to say, over the last few months. Uh, but Gold Coast would have taken this extra time in the last uh, couple of weeks to get their house in order, I'd say, and uh, I'm backing them for a win. Yeah, High Marsh always a hard place to go, but um, Gold Coast would be looking to try and push those, you know, up into that top spot. So we'll see how that one goes. Saturday's game, Saturday's two games, kick off with uh, Brisbane Roar against Melbourne Victory at Suncorp. Big kind of grudge match after the way that the, uh, the Roar kind of ganged up on uh, poor Robbie Cruz. Last time, do we do we see a bit of a spite or a, a bit of anger in that game, Trev? Probably, yeah. I mean, it, it was a cracker, wasn't it, in Melbourne earlier in the season? Um, you know, and just got his first win there. Um, Melbourne are looking like the team they were before, bar a couple of crazy hiccups. An interesting thing I was thinking about, um, you know, when I was was in Melbourne listening to to talk radio, talk sport radio. The amount of Melbourne fans ringing in saying that they they don't like Merrick and they want Merrick out. I had no idea that was the feeling 
you know, in Melbourne. He's just been given a, a new two-year deal. I'd imagine he would have been, you know, fairly popular after delivering the double twice in the opening four seasons. But people seem to be upset. I think they're probably just a bit of a knee-jerk reaction from the disappointing Mariners result, really. But um, I, I think that's got draw written all over that one. Yeah. Jack, do you see any other result taking place or are we talking draw? Uh, I just wanted to... Uh Tell Trevor, you shouldn't always believe what you listen to on talkback radio because I, the media tend to have uh, this thing where they try and influence opinion. I, I don't or know where you guys <laughs> Sure, but I mean, the, 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 these are fans ringing in, and I couldn't believe, you know, it was a constant flow of fans ringing in. I, I don't know if they were appealing, you know, do you hate Merrick ring up? No one phoning up saying they liked him? No, they weren't. Didn't let older, those people through. Older Scottish voiced lady. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's fine. <laughs> Little Ernie. So that's Northern English, but you know. I'm quite sure what that was. Uh, um, who do you see in that one? I'll tell you what I think is amazing. We did talk about this last week when we talked about the fact that the team, Sydney at top, have lost as many games as the team that's bottom. Mm. But have you seen the goal difference as well? Just looking at it now, but the Melbourne in second and Gold Coast in third have got equal goal difference. Uh, where else do you get a team that's lying second and third that hasn't got a positive goal difference? Mm. They've both conceded as many as they've scored, which is phenomenal. Mm. You know, so I think it just shows, I mean, it's such a tough league to call. You know, I'm, I'm glad I stopped betting on every game every week because it's impossible. Just four out of five you just gamble on now. <laughs> um, Brisbane, uh, Brisbane, Melbourne, though, I think you know, Melbourne will have been stung by that big defeat at home. Um, so I think that we'll have a few people like the Mr Muskets of the world getting people you know, by the scruff of it saying we need to put that right we need to go and win Melbourne are one of the toughest teams to play when you're at home they always seem to do well on the road look at you know, they go over to Perth they win they've got a great record at Sydney away so I, I think Melbourne will go there and put things right yeah Second game on Saturday sees uh, the two battlers of the A-League really North Queensland Fury against Central Coast up in uh, Townsville um, should be a, a scrappy affair. I don't think much football will be played, but um, how do we see that one going, Jack? Uh, I like the Fury there. Uh, look, I think there's a, there's a bit of sting left in the Fury story for this season. Uh, they're still, uh, you know, three points off fifth. So um, who knows what uh, what the boys up there can do? You know, off the uh, off the back of their hard working attitude and following their heroic captain around. Maybe a miracles on on the uh, in the offing. <laughs> Trev, it seems though the Fury have actually worked out what it takes to win in in the A League now. I mean, it looked like that they were you know they were scrapping for draws here and there, but they've you know, they've kind of worked it out and it's kind of clicked. Do you think that they are going to be uh, in the final spots at I, the end of it? No, I don't. I think they'll finish bottom. But um, I think they seem to be building. They seem to have a long term plan at Fury, whereas I think the Gold Coast came in and were clicking their fingers, instant success. We want this. We want that. And I think the Fury are more you know conscious that you know they want to slowly build up the team and, and what players work for them they've got a young coach learning his, his trade and then they'll perhaps get into the finals next year obviously they'd love to make it this year but I don't think that's going to happen um, you know the Mariners were saying that they jump between you know win lose and draw you never it's like pulling a, a number out of a pot I'm um, not sure how they're going to turn up there I think um, I think that one's got another another draw written all over it Fury love a draw don't they Andy you're nodding yeah, in the concurrence so well. I think one of the other things that might come into play this weekend at a fair few of these games looking where they've been played is the weather you know it has been hideously hot in Adelaide for the last sort of five six days I think they've had five or six days over 35 it's going to be like 45 there today 
um, Queensland as well. So I think we we may well see the old uh, the old drinks break coming into uh, into effect at a couple of the games. This I think weekend. the Wellington players will be looking for a drinks break. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, actually, if you look at if you look at the table and if all the because of all the teams in the bottom half, they're playing teams in the top half. It looks like if if North Queensland win and uh, Perth Glory win against or Wellington win against. Uh, uh, Newcastle you could see North Queensland with a win go up to sixth spot because it's so tight at the bottom yeah. so Trev's, uh, Trev's saying they're going to finish bottom but they could actually go which is not a bad call I'm not criticising you I've not gone out on a long shot because they're currently bottom but yeah but I reckon you know but this is how tight it is at the bottom if they win their games and results go their way they could end up in a, in a playoff spot by the end of Sunday but obviously results have to go their way and uh, the two games on Sunday which might have a bearing on that Newcastle Jets against Wellington Phoenix at Energy Australia Stadium. You know, off the the back of the the emotional and probably draining victory uh, that the All Whites enjoyed uh, last weekend, they got to make a trip over to Newcastle. Do we see any Phoenix being able to get anything from that game, or do we think that you know purely because of the way that the All Whites turned out that they're gonna they're gonna go down to Newcastle? Um, I, I think the Jets will win um, not so much because of the All-Whites thing I just think the Jets aren't that bad at home they've picked up four wins this season they, they beat Wellington Mariners Gold Coast and Fury so they're not being as awful you know as their league position shows perhaps at home at times um, and yeah there might be a little bit of a hangover and it's kind of getting you know back into the A-League after for I mean what was there four or five Phoenix players in the, in the All-Whites team that made it um, so yeah I, th- I think a little bit of a hangover Tough game, tough place to go. I think the the Jets will win. You're better the Jekyll and Hyde team, though, aren't they? You never know what you're going to get with the Jets. Yeah, yeah. I think um, they they always play they always play decent football at home, especially, but they don't always have that cutting edge. I mean, they've only scored 14 goals in in 14 games, which you compare that with you know the team like Phoenix, for instance, who've scored 20 um, and are, are there or thereabouts in terms of league position point difference. So um, yeah, I, I'd probably tip. A draw. I had to say it, but I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to have to get on the draws this weekend. Old five draws. Guys, you're underestimating uh, the power of Ricky Herbert's half-pissed half-time talk here. <laughs> yeah. uh, if uh, if Wellington Phoenix don't win now, there is no romance in football. True. A bit of vodka in the uh, in the old Powerade bottles at half time. It's been hell of a night though to still have a hangover. I mean, it would have been you know over a, a week. week. Yeah. 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 Now they should be should be doing the business by now. Final game and arguably the game of the round sees uh, Perth Glory take on Sydney FC at the Emmy Bank Stadium. Now is this the first time they've played each other this yeah. season? Isn't it? Yeah. Fourteen games in in a ten and they've not played each other yet. Yeah, they've still got to play three games against each other in the the latter half of the season. Trev, you look really excited about this one. Tell us what you think. Um, Sydney have got a terrible record in Perth. I haven't bothered to research how quite how bad it is, but I understand it's it's really really awful, and that was when Perth were really really awful as well. So it, it's going to be um, a tough game for them. Perth has sort of um, fallen away a little bit of late. Um, they picked up those you know those lucky results and what have you, but they still look good at home. Quite, I think you might be right in those five draws actually. That's another Same game. Man. It's like it's like it. this every week on the podcast, isn't it? We go for the games and it's like I really don't know. Perhaps a draw. Five. Right, I'll, tell, I'll tell you that the, the five draws it runs between one hundred and ten and one hundred and thirty dollars. It's a multi. So. But you're not good. betting on the games this weekend. Then. No, I will be. I'm going to put on five draws. It's got to happen once. 
I'm, so, g- I'm getting involved. Cover. <laughs> so you're saying Perth Glory against Sydney yeah, FC draw. will be a draw. Draw. Perth to win. Perth to win. That's all. There you go. Confident. Thank you, Jack. That's that's all we needed on that one. And that's all we've got time for in this edition of the 442 Insider Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Special thanks to producer Simon for uh, continually twiddling our knobs. And don't forget, you can listen to us on the interpipe at au.442.com or subscribe to us on iTunes. Make some comments on our forums at the end. Let us know whether we're doing a good job, whether you like Trev's stats. And uh, thanks very much for listening. And don't forget to check in with us next week. Go the Kiwis! (laughs) 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.